to women in venture capital. I'm Rushvina, Chief of Staff at General Catalyst, with prior experience in finance and early stage VC. And I'm Anvita, Senior Product Manager at UiPath with experiences across tech startups and venture capital. Our mission at Women in Venture Capital is simple. Increase the representation of women in the VC industry through awareness and engagement. So join us as we engage with women establishing their presence in the industry. Our guest today is Julie Castro-Abrams. Julie is the CEO and Chair of How Women Lead and GP at How Women Invest. She's a gender and racial justice activist who spent the majority of her career working to build great women-owned companies and economic access for women. She's an experienced CEO and sought-after speaker in entrepreneurship and how women lead. As the GP for two venture funds focused exclusively funding women, She's working to change the fact that women only receive 1.7% of venture funding. Julie is also a philanthropist who launched How Women Give and serves as the governance chair for the How for the Women's Funding Network. She has won many awards, including the Jobs Genius Award, Women Who Can Be President, League of Women Voters, Human Rights Awards from the Commission on the Status of Women, among others. It's a very special episode, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us and. As one of the recently onboarded LPs to How Women Lead, I have increasingly been appreciative of so much amazing work that you've been doing to promote women, not just in VC and funding capacity, but also building business capacity. So this is an absolute honor to have you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm so honored to be here. Amazing. Uh, we're going to kick get started and jump right in. Uh, one of your recent articles we read uh you mentioned there that empowering women in venture capital is not just about equality it's also about unlocking untapped potential this has been a major theme of a lot of our conversations where we do want to table up and bring out the conversation that empowering women and ensuring equality on decision making table on decision making roles has got to do with business case and not just a tick mark on some of your esg goals potentially and you seem to echo a lot of that as well um can you share a little bit more about this how it aligns with your mission at how women lead yeah uh, well listen we need more women leading we need women who are um uh, at every decision making table and and frankly it's not good for any of us if women are not uh, if they're not in early and taking a seat at the table um it's it's actually kind of dangerous for companies it's dangerous um and it doesn't set good cultures cultures are set in the first you know 30 people in a company we're not at the table you guys um the you know only uh as i think last night last night i saw maybe 8% of decision makers in venture capital are women think about that like what kind of companies are we growing when women are nowhere to be found um only 2% of venture funds go to companies founded by women so means and i'm sorry but i'm just going to give you an example like my daughter works at uber and then she started there before they let go of travis kalanak well you know the one she she was paid terribly you know terribly inequitably they didn't audit and readjusted pay she got a 40% increase you know um in her compensation which is like wait how could a 23 year old know how to negotiate 40% more than what you offered her um but the other thing is like you know 
there were no women on that were VCs that were coaching and guiding Travis Kalanick, a young entrepreneur um, to, who built that company. Well, then he got fired. All the investors lost money. The company, you know, has gone through shock after shock and the culture was terrible for a lot of people. Um, that's not good for our economy. That's not good for anyone. We got to we have to grow up as it as a you know we have to meet where we're at which is you know women are 50% of the workforce depending on the year um uh women are um you know really uh you know they're they're they have 50% of the wealth um you know we're we're it's time for us it's our time and um and it's better for everybody and and to me um you know having Having women like you uh, really being seen as a power player, as a venture investor, like that's game changing for all of us. Spot on. I mean, everything you say, all the stats are stats that we've mentioned a couple of times, as you can imagine, over the last three years that we've been doing this podcast, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. If anything, it's stagnating, or when does the market slow down? It's the first thing. That- I know. They act like it's somehow so nice to have, as opposed to like critical, yeah. effective values and, and returns-based in, you know, strategy. Absolutely. And I think it is very much what you said. It's, it's, you know, it's more of um, a mentality issue as well as, you know, there's a business case, a very strong business case for this. It's not just, you know, the easy budget that you cut off when there's a market. Right. Slowdown. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And another area where you invest a lot of time has been on changing laws for women on corporate boards and placing more women on board positions. What led you to focus on this and how do you achieve that today? Well, okay. So there was all this research that said that, you know, corporate boards perform better. They're governed better um, when you've had diversity. And if you look at major debacles, you know, in our history, it was really group think that was the problem. Um, we've all been there. Like if you're in a group with other women who are like you, have similar education, um, uh, you know, you feel you can relax a little bit. And you know, uh, Rashvina, that Anvita is going to actually, she's going to take care of the finance. You're going to take care of the other parts of the, you know what I mean? We all get a little bit complacent and comfy. Um, so that's what, that's what happens with group think. And when you add a couple other board members in there, everybody actually does their homework more when there's diversity on a board and it's it's protective of a company. And I'll give you one example. You know, product recalls happen 28 days faster or three times faster when you have diversity on a board. Think about that. And it's because um, the conversation is more attentive and focused and responsible. Um, uh, so... Okay, so all this is the backdrop. We had all the we had plenty of data um, that was telling us what to what to expect, and um, and we in California we were like, hey, pretty we actually passed legislation. We we're like, pretty please, you should all know this. Get diversity on your board because it's better for for California companies, and nothing happened until we put a, a financial. Um, uh, a, a, a cost. You have to pay a fine if you don't put women on your board. Then everything changed. And so truthfully, we tried everything. Um, but until we actually required it, people literally thought, people would say to me, well, what? Are we going to put the secretaries on the board? I'm like, 
The women I know are not secretaries in the companies. They're in the C-suite. What are you talking about? But that was still this bias. And in 2010, we had about 10% of public company board members were women. Today is 34% because of all of this, because of the laws and the other things that changed the game. Uh, you can directly see that there was actually asset management firms and others actually require you to have two women. Uh, but this was extremely critical for our country and very protective. That's really cool to know. And I know for a fact that you've been a great proponent of pushing a lot of these agenda across the board for making sure that women get representation, both from access to funds, like you said, putting more women on on boards, and a lot to do with not just uh, probably mentoring women, but also going ahead and changing laws, because maybe we need that as the initial push before we start to see companies proactively starting to add women on the board positions, looking at how how much valuable the insights there can be. Um, this is amazing, Julie. And continuing on the same thread, we also read one of your recent interviews where you highlighted the importance of networks, mentorship, and continuous learning in the VC industry. Um, if anything, the, the networks that you're building and nurturing on how women lead, how women invest, a lot of what you're doing on the philanthropy side as well, uh, echo a lot of that because you are building this community and you're trying to aid mentorship and adding continuous learning into a lot of what you're doing. Uh, curious if you can share some instances where some of these aspects have played a pivotal role in your own career um, and today how they contribute to how some of these networks you're building, like how women invest or how women lead, how some of this has contributed to success of these networks as well. Well, because I'm a I'm a change maker. I'm trying to make the world a better place. Um, I have always been part of networks. You have to, you have no choice. Um, and so um, uh, this, think about this. 85% of board seats are networks, word of mouth. Um, you can't, you, you cannot ignore the value of this. Um, uh, and, and this has been the case always. Um uh, and in venture, th this is the thing with venture capital. It has largely been concentrated uh, with this, with you know, mostly white men uh, from Stanford and Harvard, and that's just it's just is what it is. It's a very opaque system of power and influence, and women have not been invited to participate for lots of reasons. Um, it just feels it. Frankly, if you've ever gone to a conference of, you know, of that kind of VC, which is the majority, it feels really hostile and uncomfortable. Um, so what my experience is, is, um, you know, at How Women Lead, we have this huge network, we got 20,000 women. Um, uh, and I know, uh, investing, I ran a type of a bank. Um, I was like, I'm going to start a venture fund. Um, and I just wrote a bunch of the women that I know, and they all started investing with me. I was like, wait, and they were all first-time investors. And then within the first year, 30% were investing in two and three other venture firms. And I, I decided to ask them why. And I did a little survey. And it was really, people were like, well, no, I've been working with venture firms as a general counsel for you know, 20 years. No one's ever invited me to invest in their fund. So it feels, it doesn't feel like you're wanted, it feels hostile and the language feels very off-putting. Um, so I started to really discover, it's like, listen, we need, and it's so women will, corporate women in particular, we did a little, we did a research study. 
Um, they're too busy to really dive in. And most of us, in order to make a big financial decision, um, we really will want to really do our research. But most corporate women, if you say the minimum investment amounts $25,000, that's not really a stop and think investment. That's like, oh, I think, you know, that I can do. It's only $6,250 a year if it's spread over four years, right? Um, and, um, but, but also, Anvita, when you, showed up, you showed up on a call with other women and it, and it makes you feel like, and you could see who else had been involved and, um, and it, the network effect of doing it with other women and feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself is extremely powerful for women. Um, uh, and so to me, um, we all need to start a conversation about investing in venture and we need to talk about getting on boards. These, these are the power plays for women that we have not had historically, but it's our time. We have the money, we have the power, the influence, we have the operational expertise. Um, it's and, and we have got to step into this um, for our own uh, for our own selves, but for our daughters. Um, my daughter works in a company at Uber and, you know, she started in a where the culture was, there was all over the news about the bad culture problems, right? I don't want that for my daughter and I definitely don't want that for yours. So we just have to, it's time though, you know, 25 years ago, it was a different story. Uh, but today um, we, we have enough women who've worked and a massive expertise. They know what they're doing. They made their own money. Um, they, they could, they can invest in venture and then they get the bug and they realize this is, this is really fun and I can make a lot of money. You know, Julie, this resonates a lot more than you, than you think. I think, you're right. I've attended a lot of these calls now where you've invited women founders to pitch. I've seen the network uh, just flourish and thrive, just appreciating each other and making the most of conversations around what have these women to offer. And they're all incredible in their areas of field and they are so passionate to what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I, I 100% agree on how critical these networks are. Like one of our um, professors at HBS, uh, she's been on the show as well, Kristen Muckford. Uh, she's a big proponent of saying that we need sisterhood in the VC and private equity world as well. Um, a concept like that doesn't exist. There's definitely the boys club uh, who'd go golfing, who do all kinds of um, stuff on their own. We need to just nourish and nurture a lot of the sisterhood conversations as well. And we have to just stand up with each other, speak for each other, be there for each other. Um, so yeah, this is this is amazing to hear from you as well and all that you're doing with some of these networks you're building. Well, and it's it to me, um, you know, we're just starting. Um, in 2010, we had 12 women-run venture firms. In 20 by 2020, we had 300. So there's actually enough of an ecosystem now of experienced VCs. We got to get them funded, and that's it. That's that for us. It's our time to step in and fuel this ecosystem where we already have. Um, you know, successful, ex, you know, and, and deep expertise in venture. Um, but, the, but it's, but it's, they're too small um, to really be what you're talking about. This, you know, truly flourishing ecosystem. We, we still see um, if women get funded and they're not, they have to pitch way too much and there's not, you know, there's not enough money, but by the time they get to a series B, the cliff is sharp. Um, and basically it changes people's sites. They end up selling their companies when they could keep growing it and making it larger. Totally agree on the um, 
ongoing change in the ecosystem. We've made a lot of progress, but it's still very much um, very small in comparison to what we can achieve uh, in terms of ecosystem change. So definitely agree on that. And actually, this is a great transition into my next question. You've obviously been prominent um, in advocating for diversity and inclusion in the industry. And we've talked about many of those initiatives earlier, but I would love to hear from you on some of the most impactful initiatives and partnerships that you recently led and some of the outcomes that that has helped uh, achieve gender diversity in the industry. Well, I honestly, I think we've kind of talked about the ones that I feel like are the most powerful, you know, getting women um, going from 10% to 34% on public company boards has been huge. Um, uh, and we've soft circled hundred million dollars in two and a half months for, to invest in women run venture firms. That's big. What else am I doing? Well, in the board space, um, we are now on a mission. Um, 65% of private boards don't have a single woman on their board. That's terrible for those boards. It's terrible for the investors. It's not good for the founder community and the jobs of tomorrow. So I'm trying to work on that. Um, I also um, am bringing private equity firms to our Get On Board Week next week in October um, so that people can meet with people who have private board opportunities available. Um, And then um, I'm working on, there's a certain type of investor class at only 1.4% of all assets in the United States or in the world rather are managed by women and people of color combined. That means over 98% of all assets, like I'm talking about the CEO of BlackRock. I'm talking about the big asset managers. Um, that's not the same as wealth. I'm talking about who man makes decisions about the major assets um, and moving those. Um, women and people of color are not there. Uh, and so um, that again is, is, is a huge opportunity for us. And as a result, um, uh, you know, and Anvita, you said it so well, we saw in the last year, you know, they've had emerging manager programs, which means like for the first, the people who have started a venture fund or people of color or women, um, in the last, you know, they're on their, you know, first through fourth venture fund, um, they call them emerging manager programs, which sometimes is quite reductive and I don't like it, but, um, uh, Basically, in this last year, they were like, "Oh, we can't take we can't take the risk on that this year." Well, think about this: seventy two percent of the highest performing venture funds are emerging managers. So, how on earth could that be a risky proposition or on the margin? That is actually where you make the most money. Um, but these major asset managers, they also often say, "Well, um, we got to move a lot of money, so we cannot." make modest size investments. Our minimum investment size is $100 million into a private equity type of or venture firm. Um, There are no women and people of color or women run, women or women of color run venture firms um, that are large enough really to take that level of an investment because it can't be more than usually 10% of your fund. Um, And if there's one exception, please tell me about her. I want to know. But um, uh, but this is a problem. Those that's that's the big money. That's where the big boys play. So that I'm trying to create a bridge now, a fund of funds called Limitless Bridge Capital, to bridge that money to the highest performers, 
so that they're making, they'll make more money for their investors. Um, and if you think about like pension funds, they manage huge amounts of money, but who's got their money in most of the pension funds. And I'm talking, let's talk about the teacher focused pension funds. Who's a teacher? Well, it's usually women and people of color. Uh, it's not all men and all, not all white men for sure. So, um, they should be making investments that not only make a, the most money for their pensioners, but also contribute in, to the ecosystem those people are living in, where their kids are working, um, the neighborhoods and communities where they're living so that they are, you know, more that they're thriving environments. Yep. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um and very excited to hear about uh, what you shared at the Fund of Funds initiative. Super good luck for that. Um, this has been an excellent conversation. And before we typically end our chat, we love to hear from our guests on some of their learnings, um, some valuable lessons that they took away along the way as they made up the ladder. Um, and especially for women who are today looking to make a mark in this VC world, either trying to break in or trying to move up the ladder curious to hear what you you want to share on that aspect as well and how it reflects on your commitment to empowerment and equity um well i'm going to tell you some learnings that maybe you know some of them i might be still on the road to learning i mean that, <laughs> so um uh you know i think like a lot of us especially when you're younger and you're a type a high performing young woman right you work harder than everybody else you get more education than everybody else you do more 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 um, I just talked to somebody who's running one of the largest law firms in the country. And he was like, oh, it's so weird. Why are women leaving? Um, we want to figure out why they're leaving. And well, they're leaving because the cost is too high. Uh, the cost to you personally to be the best and do the most um, and do it while we take care of everything at home. Um, and, uh, and especially especially if you're a woman of color, but all the microaggressions and the tensions and stress that's caused by you not working in environments that were designed for you. Um, it's too much. And so um, I'm now more in a life stage where I'm trying to, I'm trying to let go of the outcome a bit and really enjoy the process and give myself grace. Um, and I think I'm going to do more and have more impact as a result. Um, now I couldn't, I don't think I'd look back on my 21 year old self and say, don't work so hard necessarily. Cause there's, I don't know, you know, there was probably good reasons I did all that, but, um, uh, but at this point, especially, you know, once you get to a certain level in leadership, your emotional resilience and ability to, to lead people and show up with grace and trust the people around you, you know, you got to, you have to, you have to be rested. You have to have enough perspective. Otherwise people are going to be like, well, she takes over and does it all, or I can never meet her standard or God, I don't want to be like her when I grow up because she works too hard. I know you guys are like, yes, yes, yes. I'm sure your heads are nodding. Um, <laughs> there's actually a book that Deepa Purushathian, um, uh wrote called the one, the few, the many. And it's about her journey, but then she did a bunch of research to reinforce it. Women of color in corporate America are getting sick. It's the cost is too high. They're leaving the workforce because they have to, they have no choice and work is making them sick. 
um, in part because you have to hide all the parts of your identity and you have to be this corporate, you know, you fit in a corporate box. Um, I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't want to, I don't want my daughter to have to do that. I don't want you to have to do that on Vita. I want, I want you to be your full self and to not have that, 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 that costs our society and it costs you and your family too much for you to get sick because of this environment. So give yourself grace, please uh, give yourself permission to rest. That's what I would like to say. And then remind <laughs> me that beautiful. I said it. Remind me that I said it so I can do the same thing. Huh. <laughs> I know, right? Like it's a long game after all. Like you can it only, is. yeah, you, you should just try to put that perspective. But I, I totally yeah, I mean, it, it resonates with what you're saying because we, yeah, like what he said, started with saying that, you know, type A people, we end up getting the most exposure, we end up getting the most education that by default pushes us to keep just doing and just like, I wouldn't say killing ourselves for it, but making sure that we are in no way um, put at a position where uh, we don't want to be. Like we always want yeah. to move the next step yeah. and climb yeah. up the ladder. Um, but you're right, it can get exhausting and um should not be that way because we're we're in it for a few decades it's not a sprint yeah. uh, well and, and here's is, and there's a certain point in your corporate career that actually doesn't serve you it does you will not get recognized for bigger leadership opportunities if that's how you show up um and you guys you know this may resonate with some of your listeners but like there comes a point where people are like well you're too valuable as a producer we're not going to promote you we're going to promote jack um uh and that's not actually good. I mean, you know, that don't do that. So here's one other little thing. Do you like, I'm going to ask everybody that's listening a question. Do you like helping other people? And I know your answer is of course. Now here's another question. Do you like asking for help? Ah, there's the rub. That feels very uncomfortable. So if you could connect the two and I could say to you, you're giving other people a gift to be happy if you ask them for help and to support you. Um, that might just be the most important thing you hear on this call, asking other people to, to be your champion and support you, help you open doors for you. Um, you know, then they get to take credit for your win and give them credit, you know? That's lovely. Uh, that's amazing. A note to end this conversation for this has just been amazing, Julie. Like I said, at the beginning of the show, this is extra special for me. And um this has been thank you so much uh and yeah i'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of it thank you so so much my pleasure really honored to be along the journey with you